the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored. Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. So the women come. They had bought spices. They want to come and anoint him in an act of devotion. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. So it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. That's the timing of the discovery of Jesus' resurrection. It's the big, bold day in redemptive history. It's the day victory was announced over death by Jesus Christ. Whether it's a holiday to commemorate the end of a war, a parade to honor a sports championship, or a blue ribbon at the county fair, victory is worth celebrating. And today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy shares with us the greatest victory of all, Christ conquering death on the cross. As we open up to Mark chapter 16, Philip begins by explaining the significance of the resurrection in a message titled, It's a New Day. Here's Philip DeCourcy, proclaiming the truth that sets men and women free. It's been well said that sunlight is the most precious gold to be found on planet Earth. I think that's a good statement, and I think we'd agree with that. Sunlight is the most precious gold to be found on Earth, and that's why we love the sunrise, because a golden sunrise brightens our day, renews our hope, and brings to us the thought that perhaps today will be better than yesterday. Every golden sunrise is a new start, gives us an opportunity to begin again. That's why we love sunrises. That's why we jump in our car and drive down to Newport Beach to watch one, or we climb the hills to view one. We love sunrises because they seem to bring to us a sense of opportunity and optimism. They brighten our day. They renew our hope. Now, given the symbolism of the sunrise... It shouldn't surprise us to find that the story of Jesus' resurrection is told in the context of a sunrise. Look at verse 2. Very early in the morning on the first day, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. The resurrection story is told in the context of a sunrise. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious symbolism. It reminds us of the importance and implication of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. A new day has dawned, hence the sermon title, A New Day. A new day has dawned, a new age has come. Spiritually speaking, light is overtaking darkness. Death is overtaking life. The reign of Satan is coming to an end. The reign of Jesus Christ is coming to the fore. This is a wonderful 
symbol for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Despair is giving way to hope. Darkness is giving way to light. Death is giving way to life. This is the day that every day before it looked to. This is the day that every day after it leans on. See, Christianity is a religion of resurrection. At the heart of Christian belief is this belief that Jesus Christ abolished death, disarmed death, killed the terror that death brings in his own resurrection. And with his resurrection, he has brought light and immortality through the gospel. So here we are, Mark 16, verses 1 to 8, where Mark resolves his gospel by showing that Jesus has been declared the Son of God by means of the resurrection, reminding us that indeed Christianity at its heart is a religion of resurrection. Now, there are several things in this story I don't want you to miss, things that are both theologically helpful and practically applicable. Number one, what I call the devotion. not going to spend a lot of time here, but let's pick up in verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, bought spices and they came that they might anoint him. It was very early in the morning. It was the first day of the week and they came to the tomb when the sun was risen. Here we're confronted with the devotion of these two women. Now, if you read Matthew and Luke and John, you'll realize there were more than these two women who came to the tomb early that morning. But for some reason, Mark has selected them. And Mark is showing them to be women who have a strong desire to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ with spices. They want to do this in an act of devotion, as an expression of their undying love for him. Now, there's every possibility that they wanted to do this to cover the stench of his decaying body as they thought it. Given the fact that in John 19, Joseph of Arimathea had already anointed the body of Jesus with spices and then wrapped that body tightly in fine linen, you must view this attempted act at anointing the body of Jesus as additional honor. He had already been anointed. He had already been given an honorable burial, but they felt cut out. Remember we saw the last time we were together that Jesus was buried in a hurry? He died around about 3 o'clock Friday afternoon. He had to be taken down off the cross and buried before sunset, before the beginning of the Sabbath, according to the book of Deuteronomy. And so Joseph took charge with Nicodemus' help. They got Pilate to surrender the body. They spiced the body, and then they clothed the body, and they buried the body. And the women wanted to be part of that, couldn't be part of that. And so even after Jesus is now being buried for three days, they want to indeed do this additional honor. They want to express their deep love for the Lord Jesus. Now, stay with me for a moment. I want to patch this story with an earlier story. You remember back in Mark 14, verses 3 to 9, we saw how Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, broke that perfume bottle. It was very expensive and anointed the body of Jesus Christ against the day of his death. So think about this. That was a premature anointing. This one is a belated anointing. So one took place too early and one's taking place too late. The thing that binds them together, the thing they have in common is that both are expressions of extravagant love. You remember how the disciples criticized Mary when she poured that ointment on the Lord Jesus and 
by our calculation, was about one year's wages. It was an extravagant display of love in a premature anointing. Now, these women are going after the fact to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I like what R. Kent Hughes says about this. The impulse came from great love because the lapse of time and the Middle Eastern heat would assure that the body was already in decay. Their action would be of no utility to their dead master, but it was what their heart needed. It's a wonderful little thought. In practical terms, there was no real purpose to it. But for them, it must take place because their heart, their devotion, their love for him made it necessary. I do want to be challenged by that. Their anointing involves them going out of the way with a desire to demonstrate an over-the-top act of love for Christ. And we need to be challenged by that. Their devotion should challenge our devotion. Is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ like that? Is it over-the-top? Is it extravagant? Is it marked by impulse and spontaneity, almost irrationality? Who's going to move the stone away? I don't know, but let's get up there and try it because we love them. I'm just challenged by their devotion. And you and I can lose our love for Christ. The church at Ephesus did read the letter from Christ to that church in Revelation 2, 1 to 7. They had a lot of good things going for them, but they'd got this one thing against them. They'd left their first love, that early love, that romantic, spontaneous love between boyfriend, girlfriend. A bit like the kind of blind, spontaneous love I was reading about the other day about a young girl who brings home her boyfriend on the first date to see the family, and he's introduced to her mother, and the guy's got, you know, he's tattooed up, he's got scruffy clothes, he's got big heavy boots on, he's got a long beard, his hair's disheveled, she takes a look, and when she gets a moment, she says to her daughter, you know, is he nice? Oh, she says, Mom, don't worry about it. He's nice. He's got to be nice. Why would he be doing 5,000 hours of community service? (laughs) We know why he was doing 5,000 hours of community service, but when you're in love, you get blind to that. And you know what? There's a devotion here with these women I'm just challenged by. Let's go and anoint this body. They're halfway down the road. How are we going to pull it off? Well, let's get there and find out. We just got to go and make an attempt. We love this guy. It's a heart thing. And we need to make sure we're not falling out of love with Christ. Do we love him through reveling in his love? Do we love him through obedience to his word? Do we love him through loving each other? Do we love him through seeking those whom he loves who are not yet his? So that's the devotion. Although one little footnote, I think this is interesting. Several commentators bring this to the fore and grab my attention. I want you to understand it. Remember last time when we looked at Joseph of Arimathea, we talked about the Mark and Sandwich. And how Mark often tells a story and inserts a story into the middle of it like a sandwich. And the point is to either compare that story with the story or draw a contrast. And we made an argument that you've got Joseph of Arimathea and his fearlessness going to Pilate asking for the body of Jesus, a member of the Sanhedrin. That was a risky move. And it's kind of inserted into the story of the women who were kind of standing at a distance from the cross. When they get here to this part of the story, they become afraid. And so you had this contrast between the fearfulness of the women and the fearlessness of Joseph. But one you don't notice that really, both beginning in verse 40 and right through here to chapter 16 and verse 8, the focus is on these women. 
the women who had followed Jesus from Galilee. Now, here's the important thing. According to Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, they are the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And you say, is that significant? Absolutely. And when you understand the culture of that day, I'll make an argument that the fact that Mark tells us that women witnessed the resurrection is a proof of the authenticity of the resurrection story. There's a lot of people want to deny the resurrection. They'll tell you it's an urban legend. It's a myth. The disciples came up with this. Well, let me ask you this. Given the fact that in that culture, a woman's testimony was inadmissible in court, if you were sitting down to write a fabricated story to win people over deceptively, would you use in your story women as witnesses knowing that in that culture their testimony is inadmissible in court? No, you wouldn't. There's a better way to tell lies and involve two women as the early witnesses to the resurrection. So why? Because it's got the ring of authenticity. He's telling the story like it happened, like it unfolded. Two women got there along with other women. And you know what's easier believed? Because if you were telling a lie, you wouldn't tell the lie that way. Just an interesting little footnote. So that's the devotion. Secondly, the day. Verse 2. So the women come. They had bought spices. They want to come and anoint him in an act of devotion. Then we read in verse 2. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So their arrival is noted, time-logged for us. It's early in the morning. And it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. And all the other Gospels agree that that's the timing of the discovery of Jesus' resurrection. It's the big, bold day in redemptive history. It's the day victory was announced over death, hell, by Jesus Christ. But here's the thing you need to understand. It's more than a chronological marker, okay? The point of this text is more than saying, you know what, this took place on Sunday. No, this is a theological marker. And you're going to see when you get into the book of Acts and into the epistles that this was the day the church gathered to worship. In Acts 20, verse 17, it says, And the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, they came together and they brought their gifts to the church on the first day of the week. In Revelation 1.10, we read that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So this is more than just a chronological marker. This is a theological marker. This is the beginning of a shift. Because just as the Passover was replaced by the Lord's Supper, the Sabbath is replaced by the first day. We don't worship God on the Sabbath. Now, qualify that we worship God every day of the week. But the day that the church gathered together under its leadership to hear the preaching of the Word, to break bread, to fellowship, to stir one another up on the love and good works was a specific day. It was the first day of the week. That pattern is found in the New Testament. You'll find it in extant literature like the Didache and the Epistle of Barnabas and so on and so forth. This is a shift. This is a shift from the Passover to the Lord's Supper, from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. This is a day that the church would hallow and count as special. Now, let me make an argument for why this day would be the day. Because in its basic message, the resurrection could have taken place on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, and the message would have been intact. Jesus conquered death. Jesus abolished death. But why Sunday? Because 
Go back to the book of Genesis. Sunday was the day God began to create. You know, for six days he'll work, and on the seventh he'll rest. So that tells us it was the first day of the week he started to do his work. And I'd make an argument, and several commentators make this argument, I think it's certainly got merit, that what we have in Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the announcement of a new creation. Through the work of Jesus Christ, his payment for sin, his conquering of death and his resurrection, this is a new creation that's being established, being announced. In fact, this is a work that will finish in a new heaven and a new earth when Jesus reconciles all things to himself. That's why as Christians, what are we called in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17? If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. The church is a new creation. We're a new creation as the church within an old creation that waits for it to be made new again. And this is all being announced. It's all bound up, all being telegraphed and prophesied in the fact Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. God's at work again. There's a new creation. The church, the people of God. And someday there'll be an eternal state and a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? This is a wonderful day. This is the Lord's day. This is the first day of the week. This is the day that signals that a new creation is coming. An eternal state is coming. The New Testament church gathered religiously on the first day of the week. And you know what? As I looked at those texts, several things suggested to me about how the first day of the week should be marked. And let me say this. When you get to the New Testament, it's not so much about physical rest. It's about resting in Christ. It's about reflecting on the gospel. It's about giving up all attempts to save yourself. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Christ is our Sabbath. And when the church comes, we come on the first day of the week to remember in Christ alone, by faith alone, because of grace alone. This is what we rejoice and revel in. So, number one, it's a day marked by celebration. If you go to Acts 20, verse 7, here's what you'll read about the early church. We're given a window into the life of those early Christians. And there's an interesting verse that says, Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. They came together to break bread. Now, what's the breaking of bread service? What's the Lord's Supper about? It's about reveling in the fact that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us and a work was done for us that has made us new creatures in Christ. And when we come to the Lord's table, we do this until he comes, which indeed has us thinking about the new creation of the old creation. So we come to celebrate the person and actions and work of God and the greatest work of God was done in his son. It's a day marked by celebration. It's a day marked by communication. Because look at this verse again. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together for the breaking of bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And you think I'm long? Come on, give me a break. He went to midnight to instruct them in the Word of God. When the church gathered, it was always about the exposition, teaching, instruction of the Word of God, where they stirred one another up unto love and good works. It's not only a day of celebration and a day of communication. I've kind of given it away. It was a day of coming together, congregation. Notice those words 
on the first day of the week when the disciples came together. They knew that was the day you come together. You read in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, such of the manner of some is, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We assemble as God's people. Look, think about this. Sunday in this community and across our country is a day when people assemble. You know, it's a day off work. We've still got that Christian heritage, thank God. And our neighbors, even though they don't go to church, well, they can have their own little church somewhere in the sense that they assemble with other people. It's a backyard party. It's a barbecue. It's a day at the beach. It's a soccer game. It's a sports stadium where they go to watch their favorite team. They assemble. Now, as they do that stuff, we should be doing this stuff. We should be assembling together in God's house with God's people. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. No, we assemble together to hear the word, break bread, worship the risen Christ, and anticipate the new day that's coming. Looking forward to Christ's return. That's Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. The message is titled, It's a New Day. This is just the first installment of a three-part message, and you can order the complete unedited teaching on CD when you visit ktt.org. On our website, you can also request this month's free CD message from Philip titled, Keep Calm and Carry On. Now, Philip, just recently we were marveling at all the doors God is opening to bring Know the Truth to more listeners in more cities. You know, when you read Paul's letters, you see that he often begins by reflecting on what God has done through the gospel in the lives of people in the many cities he visited. And he gives thanks to God for that. And at Know the Truth, as we have expanded our ministry through this Great Cities initiative, many lives have been changed and are being changed. And we give thanks to God for that. In fact, uh, just this week I got a letter from a listener in the Philadelphia area and how the broadcast has deepened his walk with God. Here's, Here's the sentiment he expresses in the letter. Know the Truth's ministry has helped me to open my heart and listen to God's plan for me. My prayer life has increased in an amount of time and depth. I listen to a sermon each day, and this time is invaluable. It has changed my perspective from seeking personal glory to seeking to give God the glory for all that I think, say, and do. I heard that you're expanding your broadcast into some challenging markets. I pray that God will open eyes and hearts and that millions of people will turn to your broadcast that they may be convinced to look to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love that letter, Wayne. It reminds us of the importance of what we're doing and the impact we're having. And you know what? I'd just like to challenge our listeners today. Help me to fulfill the prayer and the passion of this listener from Philadelphia who wants our broadcasts to be heard as widely as possible so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might continue to change lives. You can do that by becoming a truth ambassador. What is a truth ambassador? Truth Ambassador is someone who is committed to supporting us financially on a monthly basis. You can begin with an amount of $25 and anything above and know that that investment is making a difference in people's lives. It's allowing lives in Philadelphia and beyond to be changed forever. So would you consider coming alongside us today? Help us to fulfill our our mission Uh, which is the Great Commission, by going to ktt.org and signing up today and becoming a Truth Ambassador. We'll certainly be grateful. Yes, thank you, Philip. And you can start that monthly donation today. As Philip said, you can sign up online at ktt.org. 
or call 888-644-8811. If you prefer, you can mail your monthly donation to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Your generosity is so appreciated as we move into our eighth year of ministry, helping you and so many others know the truth. And when you become a monthly Truth Ambassador or give a generous one-time gift today, we'll send you a book by Jerry Bridges called Trusting God. Learn to trust God at a deeper level and experience greater freedom and courage to embrace the abundant life. Ask for the book, Trusting God, when you give by calling 888-644-8811 or donate online at ktt.org. That's all the time we have today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back Tuesday for more on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. An exciting new book from Regnery looks at the power of love and intimacy from a godly perspective. It's called Love and Sex, A Christian Guide to Healthy Intimacy. Sex is powerful. Just saying the word can stir up all kinds of emotions inside people. Maybe it's a positive emotion for you or a hurtful, shameful, confusing one. It's no wonder we humans struggle to understand its meaning and purpose. Hi, I'm Nancy Houston, a sex therapist, leadership coach, and licensed professional counselor. After counseling hundreds of clients about the topic of intimacy, I decided to write Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Love and Sex is filled with life-changing, compelling stories to help us all reconnect to love and is biblically based on the truths of God's Word. Get your copy now of best-selling author Nancy Houston's compelling new book, Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. The housing market is three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.